It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, once gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Of course I surprised myself. It's by the grace of God I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does, and I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And I'm I'm excited to see what, what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. (laughs) Love it. Well well said. Congratulations. Enjoy that gold, and we'll see you out there on the podium, okay? Thank you. I'll try not to cry, but no problem. All right, so that was Tamira Mansa-Stock, and she won a gold medal in wrestling and you just in Tokyo, and I wanted you to hear that. We need good news. I'm, I'm all in for that right now. And so uh, she was just talking about how wonderful it is to live here, how she loves representing the U.S. She's wrapped in a flag. She's black, by the way, Tamira. We have to say that, you know. We have to point that out. Uh, but she actually loves the country. She was raised in Katy, Texas. Uh, she was prodded by her sister. Uh, that uh, she, her sister said she didn't have role models to look up to. And uh, she said she always had her sister to look back on. When I first started wrestling, I wanted to be an emblem, a light to other young women, and show them you can be silly, you can have fun, and you can be strong. You can be tough, you can be a wrestler, and you don't have to be like this. I'm going to be mean to you. And she was just, that's a transcription of something that she growled, I think, in the interview. She was not known before today, but uh, it is Fox is reporting that she's easily the, probably the most likable athlete coming out of the games. And she won a gold medal. And she was asked, you know, what she's going to do with the money that she will get. She'll get probably endorsements and all kinds of stuff. She said, I want to give my mom $30,000 so she can get a food truck because that's her dream. And so... um I, I, it's just sweet, and I wanted to share that with you. Just a great story this morning. Meanwhile, across the pond, a long way across the pond, back to the United States. Um, uh, well, let's just say that Governor Cuomo has already, you know, been cracking down. He's been praising uh, companies for requiring vaccinations. He's come back with a vengeance after the allegations of sexual harassment and. He's making all these noises again after uh, getting off the hook for sending COVID-positive uh, patients or residents back into nursing homes and causing thousands of, the, of deaths of nursing home patients in New York. These are the things laid at his feet, and yet he continues to preen. It's amazing. And so I can't say that I was personally sorry when we heard the New York Attorney General Letitia James, who's also Democrat, which is really strange. I this is an interesting kind of uh, thing going on in New York, but this thing going on. I want to, uh, you to hear Letitia James announcing the end of this investigation into Cuomo. Interesting timing. Let's listen. 
And an investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women. The investigators independently corroborated and substantiated these facts through interviews and evidence, including contemporaneous notes and communications. This evidence will be made available to the public along with the report. Yeah, so, so it's a 168-page report. And, I, you know, let me say up front, you probably picked this up, but and so I have to say that I'm, I'm always a skeptic on these things uh, because it's so, easily to, it's so easy to accuse someone now of sexual harassment and what it actually means. I think young girls have sort of gotten a, an exaggerated view of what, you know, where's the line between flirting, sexual harassment, and I think some of the things that are really not that bad are being uh, cast in that category. So I'm real cautious about this. But in reading some of this report, it seems to me, and I do have a prejudice also against Cuomo, but I, I think there's legitimacy here. One, one story that I read is about a, a trooper, a female trooper, that he encountered when they were doing something. He was in his position as a governor, and um, he kind of liked her, so he had her transferred to his duty, his, uh, whatever you call it, the people that surround him, but she wasn't really qualified, but he had her transferred, and then he then he proceeded to sexually harass her. Uh, he touched her inappropriately and, and uh, made all kinds of comments, sexual comments, and uh, she, as far as I know, she she was not into that, and she did complain, but that's just one, and that that's, uh, so I'm convinced that Cuomo, <laughs> it didn't take much to convince me that's the truth, but I think he's in trouble. And uh, one of the reasons I think he's in trouble is because even Joe Biden, the uh, hair sniffer, uh, made this comment last night when he was asked about Andrew Cuomo. Clip one, let's listen. I have a question for you on coronavirus, but first I'd like to start with the news of the day. Given back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So will you now call on him to resign, given the investigators said the 11 women were credible? I stand by that statement. Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. And if he doesn't resign, do you believe he should be impeached and removed from office? Let's take one thing at a time here. I think he should resign. I understand that the state legislature may decide to impeach. I don't know that for a fact. I've not read all that data. And he's using a photo of you embracing him. Okay, you know what? There's more about it. It doesn't matter. The rest of the details don't matter to me for the points that we're talking about right now. But the point is the president of the United States, Joe Biden, uh, who some people, you know, I guess his word has weight of things that he said publicly that Andrew Cuomo should resign. I think that's pretty interesting. We'll see if Andrew Cuomo actually does that. That will be a gift to the people of New York, I think. I don't know what would follow him, but at least for now. Uh, He reminds me, okay, this is a very inartful comparison. It reminds me of Mussolini. I mean, I've never seen someone love their power more and delight in controlling people's lives. It's pretty disgusting. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. And another story, another Andrew uh, was fired for sexual harassment yesterday. That's Andrew Napolitano on Fox. 
You know, Andrew Napolitano, I've watched him for years. I was with Fox, of course, for years. Uh, didn't know him well, but knew him. And he was always, uh, in the early years, like around uh, 9-11 and the Bush years, he was good. He'd said some really good, insightful things. And then when President Trump became president, my understanding is that uh, he wanted to be a judge, and Trump uh, sort of rebuffed him or ignored that request. And uh, he's, his commentary just, it's as though, was not rooted in conviction of truth, but in uh, other things. And he began to hate President Trump, which is I thought was strange because he had been a supporter earlier on. Now, I'm not saying this about him because he didn't like Trump. A lot of people didn't, and that's not a reason. The, but the point I'm trying to make is his, his, his reasoning and his commentary. You know, when I commentate and others that I trust, they speak from the heart. They speak about what they believe is true. It, it isn't like a vendetta against someone, and so we say something different because we're trying to hurt someone else. And uh, that's what it seems to me Andrew Napolitano did. Well, his lawsuit has been filed over sexual co- misconduct with men. Okay, so that's why Andrew Napolitano has never presented a wife or children. As far as I know, um, he's been fired over his uh, sexual misconduct with men. I could go into the details, but that's enough. <clears throat> and wanted you to know about that because I know a lot of you watch Fox and have for a number of years. Uh, this was, uh, you know, I told you uh, a couple of days ago, about this influx of illegal immigrants. Well, what else is new? But this particular uh, gathering of them uh, in a Texas uh, border crossing, and there was a Fox outlet that described it. Let's listen to that, and then I want you to hear a border agent who's just resigned, his response to this. This is clip three. Our drone video showing a massive group of illegal immigrants being held by Border Patrol under Anzal Duas Bridge. It's the largest group we have ever seen in all of our trips to the border. We're talking at least a thousand people. As Border Patrol sources tell us, more than 8,000 illegal immigrants were apprehended just here in the Rio Grande Valley alone over the weekend. Sunday night in La Jolla, we came across this large group of more than 200 migrants who turned themselves into Border Patrol. Many of the migrants were visibly coughing as COVID-19 cases continue to surge amongst the migrant population here in the Rio Grande Valley, a more than 900% increase just in the month of July. Okay, so a lot of people coughing, coming across the border, no big deal, nothing to see. And so uh, Thomas Feely, who's been with the agency, the Customs Enforcement official, he's been with them for years, uh, just resigned. And he was on with uh, Tucker Carlson last night, and I wanted you to hear what he had to say. Well, there's a fine line, Tucker, between telling people we're not breaking the law and not enforcing it and being okay with that. What's going on right now on the border, like you mentioned, it's wide open. It's so bad right now that the Border Patrol isn't even processing illegal aliens, who many are COVID positive, I might add, and sending them into the interior of the United States with a phone number that they're supposed to call. And then ICE officials are supposed to reach out to them and process them over the phone and not even in person. Some ICE officials will tell you, well, you know, the Biden administration isn't telling us to break the law, but they're they're definitely telling you not to enforce it. So, you know, if if that's what you're gonna split hairs on, we're pretty much screwed as a country going down this road. What's happened now, and every administration that does this, you mean they hire their own people, But with the Biden administration, I've never seen it before where they they went out and directly hired uh, NGOs to come and be part of DHS and ICE. And I've got the emails where one NGO still out in the field contacts their buddy at headquarters and says, hey, we want this guy released. And they make it happen. They totally cut out the field office directors in the field, the law enforcement professionals. They're cutting us out and they're letting people go that do not need to be released in the United States. 
And here's an example. I had a case who the guy was a convicted arsonist, and they called me and said, hey, Mr. Feely, you know, one of our criteria is if the guy hasn't been arrested in the past 10 years, we, we need to let him go and we'd like you to release them. And I say, you know, I said, I totally get what you're saying, but what you need to understand, he's been in prison for 12 years. That's why he hasn't been arrested. And the answer I got was, we don't really care. He hasn't been rearrested in 10 years, whether he was in prison currently or not. You need to release him. And I had to cut him loose. So we've lost another really fine man. You know, law enforcement, you know, policemen are quitting. Uh, law enforcement are quitting. FBI uh, people are not, you know, signing on anymore either, even though you don't hear about that. Uh, so, uh, I, and I, I have to add to this discussion briefly. Uh, yesterday, uh, it was reported that a police officer who responded to the January 6th Capitol Police killed himself. His name was Gunter Hashida. Uh, he was found July 29th in his home. Um, he had a wife and uh, three children. His uh, page, GoFundMe page, is, was described as, he was described as a devoted, loving husband and father. There have been, what, uh, two, two other suicides, maybe three. Jeffrey Smith uh, and Howard Liebengood, uh, who killed themselves after the January 6th incursion. Now, a lot of people, of course, everybody, the press, wants to say it's because they had such a terrible experience uh, with the so-called insurrectionists. And that's what the Capitol Police officers who testified on January 6th would lead you to believe in their tearful offerings. But I find myself wondering uh, if these guys got caught in the crosshairs of uh, what was, I think, an incredible deception, not calling help by Nancy Pelosi, um, the stand down, Capitol Police not being prepared. They were put in a terrible position uh, did um, I would just ask, did Gunter Hashida know about some of this? Did he see this with his own eyes? Does he see the perversion and twistedness that's being presented? Uh, is that um, possibly what's causing people to kill themselves rather than the way they were treated? I mean, they're policemen, after all. They're used to being in the line of duty. So that one kind of encounter with people would cause them to commit suicide, I think is harder to believe than the fact that they've seen something else that we are not clear about right now. That's my theory, and it is just that. It is just the theory. All right, what's going on in Cuba right now? <clears throat> the headlines have kind of gone silent. Uh, well, our next guest is going to fill us in, and we're going to talk about the island of Cuba and those poor people when we return. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a preborn center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. Because of them, he's here. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel in action. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Justin Maxson, Deputy Undersecretary for Rural Development at the Department of Agriculture. His office helps improve the economy and quality of life in rural America. Psalm 104.14 reminds us of God's plans for prosperity in rural lands. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Justin Maxson as he works on behalf of rural America. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Most Democrats want the government to force Americans to mask up. That's according to a new survey from Rasmussen Reports. 66% of Democrats want mandates even for those who are vaccinated. Republicans, on the other hand, are overwhelmingly opposed to the mandates. Dr. Jeff Warren is a member of the Memphis City Council. He is also a progressive Democrat. Dr. Warren has been among the most vocal critics of those who refuse to get a vaccine. Not only has he been vaccinated, but Dr. Warren makes it a point to tell anyone who will listen that he wears two face coverings. So it was something of a surprise when he announced the other day that he had contracted the China virus. It does make you wonder whether the vaccine or the masks will actually keep you safe. My new book now topping the charts. You can order a copy of our Daily Biscuit right now at your favorite bookstore or online at ToddSterns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Progressives want uh, the embargo to end, the U.S. embargo. They think that that needs to be done right now because it's causing suffering in Cuba. What will be your response? My response is the protesters who are taking to the street are protesting the tyrannical regime, the communist government that murders people, that tortures people, that denies them free speech, that denies them religious liberty, that traps the people in poverty and misery. You know, liberals like to, to, to laud Cuba, to talk about things like Oh, look at the 1950s cars. They don't have 1950s cars because they're into collectibles and interested in antiques. They have 1950s cars because Cuba has become the land that time forgot. When the communist revolution succeeded there, it froze them in a time warp, and that's all they can get is the 1950s cars. And, and so for, for the American leftists, they're right now in a quandary. And the reason is, more and more in the Democratic Party, you're seeing open socialists, people like AOC and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who advocate socialism here in the United States. And the inconvenient truth is the Cuban regime is a socialist regime. It's a socialist dictatorship. 
and it demonstrates that socialism is a disaster. It produces poverty and misery and suffering. And that is a very awkward reality for the American socialists that are suggesting we adopt similar policies here in the United States. For any, any American leftists who are saying this is about the embargo, they're happily repeating the communist propaganda from the regime. The people in the streets are chanting libertad. They want liberty. They want to be free, and the Cuban people deserve to be free. All right, that was Senator Ted Cruz, who, of course, is Cuban, uh, and he is uh, eloquently expressing what's been happening. You know, we had a lot of headlines about Cuba a few weeks ago. We saw the people in the streets. I talked about it on this show, and now it's kind of gone silent, hasn't it? Uh, Before I introduce my next guest, I want to give you some perspective. I always feel like I have to give a history lesson. I think it's important. Uh, Cuba was one of the freest, most prosperous little islands uh, south of the United States, uh, expanding, business booming, uh, crops, cigars, all of it, uh, before Fidel Castro uh, took over. And remember, we talked about Fidel a couple of weeks ago in great detail about he was the son of privilege, spoiled, rotten, and um, how he presented himself as like some peasant leader when, in fact, he was a, a child of privilege, and how he bilked the Cuban people while while killing and imprisoning them, uh, and came uh, you know died with something like nine million. I know that's probably not enough, something like nine million dollars. But I want to give you a little bit more detail again, if I could. According to our our good friend Chris Farrell, who just wrote a really great article called Betraying the Cuban People Again, uh, Chris tracks what American presidents have actually done uh, to help Cubans, and he points out that really the only person that's actually really helped them, you could say that Barack Obama helped them if you were a leftist and you thought Che Guevara was a hero and uh, Fidel Castro was some sort of a handsome Latino uh, uh, leader who you uh, idolize. But if you don't feel that way... uh, Barack Obama helped Cuba. Yeah, he helped the communist socialists. But JFK really was the only one, John F. Kennedy, in the, uh, when he uh, when the Bay of Pigs invasion happened at Cuba, and also when there was the standoff with the missile crisis. Uh, that takes too much time to explain. Let me just say he stood up to them because the Russians were putting missiles in Cuba to aim at the U.S. But here's a little, little byline uh, about the press at that time. Eugenio de Soso Chabau was the publisher of the oldest Spanish-language newspaper in the Western Hemisphere in his native Cuba when he was imprisoned and tortured for two decades simply for opposing Castro's communist regime. Now, here's the interesting part. Uh, His uh, wealthy, prominent family and his upbringing included his friendship with classmate John Fitzgerald Kennedy, another member of the class of 1935, Uh, Dr. DeSoso's Chabo's friendship with Kennedy and his success smuggling an early warning out of prison to the U.S. government concerning the deployment of Russian missiles in Cuba would earn him prolonged physical and psychological torture. And throughout his 20-year sentence, DeSoso Chabo was tortured in various prisons throughout the island. Then he goes on and talks about how horrific the torture was. He finally was released from prison 20 years later in 1980. The things that they did to him... Uh, were amazing, and Chris makes the point that journalists and uh, leftists uh, who, you know, faint and woo over, you know, pictures of Che Guevara and uh, Castro have no idea. Uh, Either they have an idea, they're just, sorry, stupid, forgive me, mother, for saying that word, (laughs) 
they they have no idea the wickedness. And now that wickedness is still there in the person of Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel. Well, I've asked Dr. Gracie Pozo Christie to join us this morning. She's a radiologist in Miami. She's Cuban-American. She also, by the way, is a policy advisor to the Catholic Association. And uh, Dr. Christie has been keeping tabs on what's happening in Cuba since the big headlines a couple of weeks ago, which have kind of gone silent. So, Dr. Christie, thank you for joining us this morning. No, thank you for shining a spotlight on this extremely important issue. What's happened since the uprising, Dr. Christie? Where, I mean, really, it has gone silent. So where are the people? What are they doing now? Are they still out in the streets and we're just not hearing it? The people, uh, first of all, the world has sort of shrugged and gone on about its business, which is uh, very sad, including the United States administration. Um, and what's happening in Cuba is that the island uh, has been heavily militarized. Uh, people are being uh, chased out of the streets if they try to to mount a protest or a demonstration. Their phones are being confiscated. Um, they grab your phone on the street and they check and see if you have pictures of the protest or if you've been communicating with the outside. The Internet has been almost entirely shut down so that people can communicate amongst themselves on the island or with outsiders. We get we get glimmers of news, and the news is, is terrible. The, the hospitals are packed um, with people who are simply just dying of all sorts of diseases because there's no health care, but uh, also of COVID. Um, they've refused every humanitarian assistance. Um, humanitarian assistance that they have received, they've, they, meaning the regime, has appropriated for itself. For instance, um, I've gotten reports that um, some assistance that they've allowed in, they ha- they are selling to the, the poor Cuban people for money that the Cuban people don't have. So people are donating, they're accepting donations, um, the regime, and then turning around and selling whatever they received on the on the black market. Well, it's not a black market because they run it. Um, so just terrible things like that. Have there been deaths and tortures? I believe, I, you know, I've seen pictures of men, I've seen like mm, smuggled out little short videos of people being beaten. What do you know about that, Dr. Christie? Oh, yes. Many, many, many hundreds of people have been disappeared, as they say. They, the paramilitary police, uh, the, they come in, the communist police, they come into people's homes and, and take people away just because they've seen their faces on a video um, or they, they're known, they've been known to be at a protest. And um, they're being taken away, and we, then you don't hear from them. They're being tortured, detained. Um, there have been um, six or seven generals have been have died in the last week or two, and wow. that is that's a question. Why were they killed? Were they were they in danger of being part of the uprising, uh, or maybe they maybe Diaz Canel is worried about a coup from the inside, a communist coup from the inside. So. Lots of stuff like that is going on. It's all very terrifying and and terrible, as I said in the beginning, that the world is sort of shrugging and going about it. Well, that's what the world always does, except for pockets of people who really care. I remember uh, there was a... I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, Dr. Christie, but uh, there was a doctor named Norbert Volertsen who was a German doctor who I interviewed several years ago who had just come out of North Korea and I remember, uh, as he was telling me about the horrors that were going on in North Korea, um, I, I st- um, well, I'm just, this is not about me, but it's, I'm just telling you, I started to uh, cry, tear up on the interview. I could hardly bear to hear what he was saying, because uh, they do such horrible things to the North, their own people. And he, when the interview was, <clears throat> excuse me, when the interview was over, he 
was so moved because there, because I was compassionate. And the point was, he had just come from Europe. He'd gone to the European Union. He'd gone to the, the UN. He, he, could, he said, I, I tell them, and they go, so? And he, he, mm-hmm. he, this was part of his, it was maddening to him. And to have someone who actually listened and cared about what was happening to people was the unique, it was unique. And so I would have to say to you, sadly, it's not unique, because I think the world and I could say this to you because you're part of the Catholic Association is so thoroughly post-Christian, they've just lost their humanity. I would also point out, Dr. Christie, my I was just reading this morning that the Chinese paramili- paramilitary has been has trained has been training Cuban security forces to uh, the, uh, responsible for for suppressing protesters. So I I was thinking of China when I, you were talking about social media being shut down. And now it looks like they're getting direct training from Chinese paramilitary to actually know how to uh, to force the people. That takes it even a step further in another direction. I, I would like to know from you personally, I can only imagine what your ties are, but can you say about, you know, what your ties are to Cuba? Where, have you been born in America? Do you have family back in Cuba? Uh, what's your connection? I was born here uh, right after my parents uh, left Cuba, my parents and my grandparents some of them, that were able to leave Cuba. And uh, I grew up in that time of exile where uh, everyone I knew was was, um, was tragically hurt by loss of people, of home, of country, of language, you know, scrambling to make, to put, a, to put their feet down here in the United States. And, the, and one thing that we Cuban-Americans carry with us uh, always is a, an intense love of the United States, of America, of the American people, of their openness, of of their of their welcoming nature, um, the United States has has loved us, has loved us Cuban Americans, and and we wish that that the administration today would would also love the Cubans <laughs> who were left behind. Um, you know, one thing that that Joe Biden did, which has been maddening for us, is that he uh, has, his administration has said if Cubans try to escape on a raft, we will send them back, and they have That's done this. Right. They've sent people back. At the same time, the, the southern border is open. And people are pouring across the border who are escaping, you know, also bad, bad, bad things, but not the kind of, you know, 60-plus-year forced immiseration and torture that the Cuban people are experiencing. And yet he says, he said publicly, that the Biden administration stands with the people of Cuba. Stands with. It's really a worthless promise because, really, honestly, Dr. Christie, if you had to look at any particular way, we talk about embargoes, which we will, uh, any particular thing that the Biden administration has done that contradicts, that shows you directly they don't stand with the Cuban people. It's what you just described. That That's just appalling. It's not the first time something like that has happened. You know, I think of the Bay of Pigs disaster. I know Americans have disappointed Cubans so many times. It's actually refreshing to me to hear you say that Cubans love Americans. The American people, I think, of course, have extended uh, you know, that's the thing, uh, Dr. Christie, you know this, anyone can come here and become an American because it's a, a set of principles and ideals we embrace. It has nothing to do with our original language or country or culture. It's a set of ideals of, about freedom, real freedom. And so Cubans have become such an important part, you know, uh, of our of our country. Uh, the way they work hard, the businesses that they found, the, the contribution, the intellect, uh, I, you know, so I can just say that that's absolutely true. But what can we, 
What can we do? How, what can we do, Dr. Christie, from your perspective? Anything? Well, first I would say pray. Pray for the people of Cuba. Pray that the world will start to care. And, and I wish that everyone would sign petitions to, to the President of the United States and say, use the tremendous power of, of being the President of, of the greatest and strongest country on Earth to ask the whole world community to turn their backs on the Cuban regime. When everything, every time a tourist goes to Cuba or a company makes a deal with Cuba or sends, even when they send uh, humanitarian aid to Cuba, every single one of those interactions benefits the regime. They take every, you know, they don't skim off the top. They take 95% off the top and they let a little bit trickle down to the Cuban people. This has to stop. We, the, the world has been enabling the Cuban regime. And as you mentioned, there's, there are connections with terrible countries like China and Iran and Venezuela, terrible countries, no, terrible countries with terrible regimes, um, and, and we need to look into that. Yes, we do. And uh, I, just a couple of practical things about Cuba to, to, to even broaden our understanding. This is kind of amazing to me. Uh, you know, I've watched this happen for years. I was, I, I was a kid when, uh, you know, the missile crisis uh, that tells you I'm not young anymore, but I, I remember it well. The whole world stood still during that two weeks. So I've watched Cuba and all the things that have happened through these many decades. So, you know, initially, it seems, Dr. Christine, these uprisings and uh, communist or dictatorial, dictatorial takeovers, uh, the first wave of resistance, you know, gives way, and then people settle into the repression. I think it's interesting that, you know, the first or second or third wave of Cuban resistance uh, was uh, was powerful but always put down. And it's been so many years, I found myself surprised that the very poor now, deprived, many times hungry, not given good medical care, Cubans had the wherewithal and still had the chutzpah uh, to go out in the streets and march. What are your comments about that? Well, this is exactly, this is, this is shows you why. This is their desperation. They're carrying, they were carrying signs when they, they could go out on the street saying, we are not really living, so why not risk our lives? They really feel that they have hit rock bottom. The hunger, the, the lack of medical care, the, the absolute control of the government over every single aspect of their lives, the lack of dignity, the, the forced labor. I mean, Cubans practice human trafficking on a tremendous scale. They get 6 to $8 billion a year in revenues from 58 different countries because they send out slaves to work in those countries, mostly medical workers. I mean, this is the reality that the Cuban people are seeing, which is so hard and getting worse every single day. So that's where the desperation... That courage comes from total desperation. Now, there's a different story circulating. And in fact, a, a letter was just made public, signed by Jane Fonda, Oliver Stone, Danny Glover, Black Lives Matter, and uh, the, it's begging President Trump, uh, President Pre- President Biden, to end Donald Trump's cruel Cuba embargo. I just love to know your thoughts about that, Dr. Christie. That's just I, you know, I want to take the whole pile of them and go put them in a crumbling, moldy, rat in- and cockroach-infested apartment in in what used to be a beautiful city of Havana, and just let them live there for three or four days. That's it. That's what I'd like to do to them. Because obviously you don't think the embargo uh, is is what's 
caused this problem. My understanding is that the embargo, just to, I, would, I don't want to belabor this. My understanding is the embargo was set up in such a way that what's happened is the U.S., uh, way back when it was established, I think in 1960, required Cuba to pay up front for exchanges for goods and services. It isn't that there's not an exchange of goods and services because Cuba was notoriously uh, not paying their bills through the international community. So that's the big, huge embargo. I'm interested in this. Um, and since you're a doctor, you know, for a long time, the left told us that Cuba was just, in fact, during the pushing Obamacare, oh, Cuba was the um, exhibit A of fine medical care. Cuba, everybody has it. They get great care. I just would love to know what your thoughts are about that and what you did see and knew. Yes. Well, first of all, on the embargo, it's not a real embargo. Um, it, it allows uh, medicines and food. It doesn't att- attach to anything like that. It caused, it, it, we're not supposed to be tourists there, and com- American companies are not supposed to do business in Cuba. But that's, that's the extent of the embargo. The Cuba can deal with the entire world besides the United States. They can do anything they want. And then they also embargo their people internally. You know, in Cuba, people don't eat lobster. They're not allowed to eat lobster because the lobsters are for the tourists. So in a country teeming with natural life and the life that's surrounded in the waters, they're not allowed to take, to take that lobster that they can catch and eat it. So they, they create the misery and the poverty. They don't allow a person to plant a mango tree and trade those mangoes for someone who has a lobster trap, lobsters. Um, so they create an environment where nobody can live, um, nobody can live properly. And uh, and then on the medical care, there is no medical care in Cuba to speak of, unless you're unless you're part of the at the top echelon of the regime, and those people have amazing hospitals and all sorts of care and top of the line everything. Plus, they can go to they can fly to Switzerland or the United States and get medical care here. Um, everyone else in Cuba does with nothing. Uh, there's no aspirin, no Tylenol. No insulin. There's no. Um, there's no oxygen. There's no oxygen tanks. The hospitals have no water or electricity for large parts of the day. Um, you bring your own stuff. If you need to go do something at the hospital, you bring your gauze and you bring your, your syringe and your suture, and you you bring it because somebody in Miami sent it to you because they're sorry for you. And when that package arrives in um, in the customs of Miami, I mean of Cuba, the government takes most of it and then lets that family member pick up a few scraps. That's how it works in Cuba, medical care. That's just shocking. That's worse than I even thought. I did. I saw, uh, this has been a number of years ago, I saw a fascinating, or I read an article, I can't even remember if I saw it or read it, uh, about medical care in, in Cuba. When I probably was during the Obamacare arguments or discussions. And uh, it said that female doctors in Cuba were actually prostituting themselves in order to make ends meet. Because they were being paid so little. Are you aware? Are you? Do you know anything about of that? Of course, of course. You know what? You know what a doctor makes in Cuba? Forty dollars no. a month, which is exactly what everybody else makes in Cuba. Because Cuba doesn't have a, a, max, a minimum wage; it has a maximum wage. With and when I say dollars, I actually mean Cuban pesos. That if there was a real exchange, you could change into dollars. But they get pesos. And with those vessels, you can't buy anything. There's not actually anything to buy. You can only buy things in dollar stores. So what the wow. people do, like doctors and nurses and, and honest, good people, is they prostitute themselves on the beaches for tourists from Canada and Europe. They receive dollars, and then they're able to go buy things that they need for themselves. Wow. wow. That's, a, that, that's, a, that's just shocking. And yet that brings to light how horrific 
socialism, communism is. We, we really want this in our country, don't we? I don't think so. Dr. Christie, I really appreciate your time and your fighting and speaking up. I'm going to help you do that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Though the pandemic disrupted family life across the U.S., some parents are grateful for one consequence. They're now homeschooling their children. Familial reasons vary greatly. Some families are responding to their children's special needs. Others seek to inculcate their Christian beliefs in their children's instruction. Some thought homeschooling would be temporary. Now they can't imagine someone else training their children. Based on U.S. Census Bureau data, the rate of homeschooling households rose to 11% by September 2020. That's more than double the rate from just six months prior. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch to you can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE, 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Radical New York Mayor Bill de Blasio yesterday announced the imposition of a vaccine passport requirement in his city, declaring, quote, if you want to participate in our society fully, you've got to get vaccinated, unquote. 
Henceforth, if you want to partake in indoor activities at restaurants, gyms, and events there, you will need to demonstrate you've received a gene therapy approved so far only for emergency use. A recent troubling webinar warns that such requirements may not be merely unethical and unconstitutional. They may usher in a digital platform like that the Chinese Communist Party uses to aggregate personal medical and other data. Big tech collects on us to insinuate into this country a counterpart to the CCP's Orwellian social credit system. Visit StopVaxPassports.org to learn more and find out how you can oppose such a mortal threat to our freedoms. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The vaccines work extremely well, including against Delta. If you're vaccinated right now, your chance of getting infected by this goes down by at least three and a half fold. Your likelihood of having symptoms goes down by eightfold. Your likelihood of getting really significantly ill in the hospital goes down by 25 fold. That's an extremely encouraging new set of data from the real world where we're tracking this. So vaccinations are still our best hope and they are working beautifully. But of course, we need to be sure more people take advantage of that. So the other part of the good news that I've happy to see is I think we may, Dana, have seen a tipping point now where vaccinations are going up every week. 56% increase in vaccinations in the last couple of weeks, especially in those areas hardest hit. Goodness, Louisiana has tripled their rate of vaccinations in the last couple of weeks. That means people are finally sort of saying, okay, I've waited long enough, let's do this. And I would like everybody listening to this this morning to think about that. Don't you wanna be part of that tipping point? If you haven't yet gotten vaccinated, the evidence is now overwhelming. There's so many things that are not going to be easy for you to do if you're not vaccinated. Companies are starting to require this. Just let's get off the fence, uh, move forward and be part of the winning team that gets this Delta out of here. Let's be part of the winning team. Uh, Boy, Francis Collins used to be, he's the head of the National Institutes for Health, used to be so highly regarded. I, I can't even probably overstate he was one that was attributed with overseeing the mapping of the human genome. He was like a rock star uh, 20 years ago. Uh, and also, uh, there was much made about the fact that he's a Christian, whatever that means, whatever that definition means. But I can tell you that's, that's Francis Collins. And yet I watched that interview over the weekend, and I thought, he sounds, honestly, he sounds so goofy. And what he's saying makes no sense. The, the vaccines, what he's just praising— the vaccines, and he's all excited about, you know, companies mandating that you, you must get a vaccine. He's He thinks that's a great idea. Walmart, Disney World, great, this is great. And yet I have this article in my hand here, and the title is 74% of COVID-19 cases from Massachusetts, uh, from a out- Massachusetts outbreak occurred in fully vaccinated people. 74% of COVID-19 cases came from a Massachusetts outbreak and occurred in fully vaccinated people. It happened in July. It occurred in uh, vaccinated people of the 469 cases detected in Barnstable County. 74% occurred among the fully vaccinated. And this was, this study was published last Friday. Uh, There's more, see, and by the way, this study was published by the Centers for Disease Control. 
Uh, They announced Tuesday that even vaccinated persons should wear masks indoors, which is an abrupt shift from under three months ago. And they keep saying they've doubled down. Rochelle Walensky now keeps telling us this is a a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And we are, those of us that are not vaccinated are guilty. We are spreading it. Uh, And so we're causing this. uh, Yeah. But problem is, it doesn't look like that's really the case. I mean, I think... um, According to what I'm reading, and who can who can know what's really true? I'm reading and listening. Uh, it sounds like the vaccination has had an effect on protecting some people, but others it's had a terrible effect on. I'm going to, uh, we didn't get it ready this morning, but there's a doctor at Baylor who was all vaccination. He was really all in for it, uh, encouraging people. And now he's coming out saying, don't do it. Don't do it. This is, vi- the, the numbers I'm seeing more and more occurrences of adverse events, deaths. Don't do it. And so we will pull that out maybe tomorrow. We'll even get to that and edit it and play it for you. And so that's uh, the story of Massachusetts. That was Francis Collins opining. Uh, By the way, this morning when I was trying to find those clips from him, they were blocked. I I think maybe they have, uh, I think social media might have interfered and decided Francis Collins uh, didn't make a good showing. And I want to go on because I'm going to run out of time here. And I want you to hear what Francis Collins had to say about masks and then Rand Paul's response to that. Let's listen. So, yeah, you do need to think about it. And that's the reason why the recommendations are uh, for kids under 12, uh, that they avoid being in places where they might get infected, which means recommendations of mask wearing in schools and that at home, uh, parents of unvaccinated kids should be thoughtful about this. And the recommendation is to wear masks there as well. Let me just follow up. I know that's uncomfortable. I know it seems weird, but it is the best way to protect your kids. Okay, so now you need to wear masks at home all the time. So Rand Paul, the doctor, and also the senator from Kentucky, responded to Francis Collins. And I, you know, I think it's interesting. He had the same reaction as I did. Like, this guy, how could he map the human genome? He sounds, honestly, he sounds like an idiot. I, I, I don't know what else to say. So Rand jumped in, and this is his analysis of what Francis Collins, the head of the National Institutes for Health, had to say clip six how can people who are so smart say such stupid things there is no science to defend putting your kids in masks or parents wearing masks no science whatsoever if there were we would be wearing masks for years and years because for kids the death rate is about the same as the seasonal flu it may be less than the seasonal flu so is francis collins proposing that because the flu's with us forever that parents should be wearing masks around their kids that have the flu it is absolutely and utterly without scientific evidence now they're all freaking out right now about the Delta variant. One thing is in all likelihood true, it is more transmissible, significantly more transmissible. But guess what? Every bit of evidence shows that it's less deadly, significantly less deadly. Public Health England looked at 92,000 people. If you were vaccinated and under 50, there were no deaths. If you were unvaccinated and under 50, 0.08%, still very, very small. 
So it's not an argument for not getting vaccinated. It's an argument for not getting hysterical over the Delta variant. We shouldn't be changing any mandates. And really, in all likelihood, the mask didn't affect the trajectory of the virus at all. The only thing that's slowing the virus down is the vaccine and natural immunity. And they continue to ignore natural immunity. So they think we're too far behind. We've got to vaccinate the children. <laughs> but in reality, I think, look, I think it's 90 percent of people over 65 have been vaccinated. That's extraordinary. That's we should be celebrating. You know, uh, I have a prediction. I predict that uh, Dr. Senator Rand Paul in time will come out and do a mea culpa on the vaccinations. I think as more information, he's been a he's been a vaccine strong vaccine supporter, uh, but I think based on what I'm hearing from other doctors and other research, I, I bet he'll step back back on that because he's an honest person. But I want to go back to this. Those of you in North Carolina, it's trouble there because now your governor Roy Cooper uh, is again calling this the pandemic of the unvaccinated. So they're mandating in North Carolina vaccines for state employees and healthcare workers, and now also trying to implement in this in schools. I want to read to you something from an interesting article this morning in the Epoch Times about what happens, what's happening in North Carolina. I want to skip to this. Leslie Manukian, who's the president and founder of the Health Freedom Defense Fund, um, she said that she believes that the unvaccinated are being blamed for the Delta variant in order to hype up peer pressure on the vaccinated and to marginalize them the unvaccinated, I think is what she means, and marginalize them into submission. Of course, that's true. Of course, that's true. I even find that with uh, people that I know, not my dear close friends, but when people find out, like my husband uh, had has had COVID, as you know, and I did too. Yeah, the first thing I told you out of people's mouths was, did, did you get vaccinated? And you could just see like they this uh, horror that you didn't get vaccinated. So if you don't have a strong sense of your own opinion or your own convictions, uh, I can see people buckling to that. But let me go on. This is what uh, this lady had to say. There was definite research showing that masks do not stop the spread of the virus, COVID or the flu. Uh, in the, in the May of 2020, the CDC published a review of 10 randomized controlled trials evaluating the impact, and uh, they found that they completely disregarded it in, sp- in spite of their research and recommended that people wear masks because the virus can be spread via aerosols and the gaps in the mask are 1,000 to 5,000 times the size of particles of the virus. The argument that masks stop visible droplets does not consider what is microscopic, uh, making uh, masks even less val- uh, valid. Of course, it increases carbon dioxide levels, reduces oxygen levels. They can literally kill brain cells. And despite all these studies, uh, the CDC has continued to advise people to wear masks. And it's uh, nothing more than politicization. I don't know. It's just so hard to know what's true and what isn't, and I'm trying to help you do that. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.